when I say what's up, everybody. I'm su- I'm super loud, so I need to chill out. I know it's you know it's the it's it's the only time you know what it is. Maybe if I start talking in my normal voice right now, when I lead into it, it'll already be lower. So what's up, everybody? Welcome to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. I hope that was better for our producer extraordinaire. What's up, Fair? Nothing. You know, life. (laughs) That sounds so, like, extreme. I mean, you know. Life is extreme. It is. <laughs> we in a we in a panorama right we now. In a, like, we in a Panera bread. Listen, I'm loving all of the the panoramics, and I'm been loving uh-huh. them. I've, I've seen so them. many. They're they're great. Yeah. Being black is lit. Being black is lit. How are you? I'm okay. You know, I could complain, but I won't. Is is pointless? What about you? I'm I'm busy. Honestly, I'm not going to complain. I might though, because like sometimes I'd be wanting to really complain, <laughs> but I'm not gonna go into it. If anybody was wondering who I was initially talking to, it was Raina. Yeah, Raina's here today. Today, shout out to Raina. Did she get an air horn? Burr, 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 burr. That's gonna be really loud. That is gonna be loud. But so she ha- deserves it. Have fun. Uh, have fun editing. Editing down the. She uh, deserves that. <laughs> those air horns. <laughs> you got any updates to share? No, I don't think so. Not too much is going on with me. Just trying to work and get these coins. I feel you on getting the coins. I need a little bit more coin. It's, 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 it was Listen, a, it was a stimmy weekend though. You didn't get that. You didn't get that stimmy. Yet. My stimmy is pending. <laughs> it's just pending. I'm loving all of the. I'm I'm glad folks are getting some some stimulus checks. I just wish some people would just chill out on social media telling folks how to spend their money, what to do with their stimmy. It's like, so. Some people might, they might just got bills they need to pay. They might need to cut up a little bit because it was. Everybody got to get an LLC. It was everybody. A, first of all, every no. single person. Wait, did you see the one where it were like? Get an LLC and for the ocean, and then charge the crabs. <laughs> I did uh, see rent. That. I did see that. Oh, that one was great. <laughs> it was. Great. Don't do not get an LLC. <laughs> just, I have one, but I have an actual business that right, right. I function. You make your soaps. <laughs> yes. No, it's just you know, sometimes people they might need that money to just cut up a little bit because 2020 and 2021 was mm-hmm. just fucked. So yeah, it's a lot of sh- it's a lot of money shaming going on on is. social inter- um, on the social internets. Social and it's 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 just fucked up. Like yeah, it's okay if no one if someone didn't start a business. It's fine if they didn't put money into their savings or pay down their debt. Some it's okay that people were just like living, like that's totally okay. Facts, facts. I am moving forward with a few projects though. We're gonna be. Are doing you gonna share them? A, uh, I'm gonna share one. Okay. We're doing a drive-in movie. Nice. It'll be free to the community. It'll be down at the Navy Yard. Sweet. Stay tuned on how folks can plug into that. Mm-hmm. All free. We'll be. I can't share you what movie yet because we're still debating. I, I just said it can't be Love and Basketball. I'm sick of sick of watching Love and Basketball. <laughs> Black people, stop playing uh, BET. Stop playing Love and Black Basketball. I don't watch BET. That, that's Do a, I lose my black card? That's it. That's nah, that's a conversation for another day. We okay. we we talked about him and his whole conservative nonsense, right? The former owner of BT. Mm-hmm. I just yeah, ago. I just don't watch it. I have something going on actually too, but you can go ahead and finish. No, I'm done. Share. Please. Um, the 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 streets program is coming back. The clean streets program. Mm. Spring cleanup is coming. I'm registering my my brother has a nonprofit called Indeed, uh, where it teaches about indigenous education and mainly Black indigenous education. 
and we'll be doing that. So you can check my social media if you want to register for my cleanup because it happens all across the city. You can find other organizations and sign up for their cleanups as well to volunteer and a cleanup Philadelphia. We might we might have to uh, link up on that. Yeah. For for the organization, we can we can do something throughout the throughout the spring and summer. It's happening together. April tenth. There's always a rain date. I don't remember what the rain date is, but yeah. So I'm 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 working on that right now. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Next segment: politics meets pop culture. There was a lot that happened. Yeah. This past week, it was, was something specific though that I wanted to mention, and I can't remember. So let me let me just run through some of the things. Maybe you'll catch them. Yeah. There was the high school uh, basketball announcer. Oh, yeah. They called the, the high school team a bunch of niggers because mm-hmm. they kneel during the national anthem, which is like, bruh, mm-hmm. what? Like, what? Yeah, it's 2021 still. There was just recently, if you are a Grammy person, you watched the Grammys? No. I didn't Beyonce when it becoming the most awarded Grammy Award winner. I'm, yeah, she like she's tied right now, I think. Tied for, for, yeah. for most, which is like. Shout out to her for that. It's funny. I was watching the clips of it because I don't really watch it. I just saw it on social media. Uh, Trevor Noah, host of The Daily Show, when mm-hmm. he like, stopped her, she looked like something bad was about to happen. She right. Like, oh, shit. I'm about to get kanye <laughs> again. It was like a traumatic experience for her. But shout out to her for that. And then, like, the whole Meghan Markle thing. That's what that's—I think that's what my was politics— me- Yes. Yes. What's your, what's your thoughts? I'm just like, okay, here's my thing. Yes, her. Yes, she is a biracial black woman, but at the end of the day, she's still a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so we need to protect black women at all costs because they came for her. They did. And wait, was, who do you mean they? Who's they? All of the days. <laughs> Be specific, though. All of the days. The it's a the, lot of days. The racists. There we go. The racists. The the haters. The people that hate black people. The people that hate black women. The people that hate women this fake-ass monarchy, like all of them. And so it's like, yeah, she's a biracial black woman, and she does, she is afforded certain privileges because of her fair skin. But at the end of the day, that shit didn't mean a damn thing when she got amongst them royals, because at the end of the day, she was still the, another black woman. And so we need to protect black women, all black women, period, full stop. I, I got one part to add about that. I agree 100% with everything that you said. Protects black women and also just like... All black women. Black trans all, women. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just black women, period. Light-skinned black women. Dark-skinned black women. Black trans women. Just black women, period. But there was this thing that took place that I started to see on social media as it relates to this topic. And it was conversations on like, did Oprah... To execute the interview well, like criticizing her for her questions, criticizing Meghan Markle because she should have known better. These are black people that are having these conversations all over Clubhouse, all over social media. I haven't been in Clubhouse in months. I I was only I only saw it because I had an event that I was doing yesterday on, on that was being streamed on Clubhouse. And so I just have to say, normally I am not in a camp of airing black people dirty laundry just not for it like Mm -hmm. you won't really hear me just talking about like what black people need to do but like this is the exception of like yo we gotta like the conversations that we have with ourselves and that we think are just among us is not they are not among us no they are not and so like we gotta really really be careful on how we like proceed in that because yo those conversations were and like white people started to pick up those same talking points and started to run with it because if this person if black person said it then it must be okay 
And so, like, we got to be careful. Like, you know, the whole victim shaming thing of like, yeah, like, is there a conversation to be had on whether people should know whether the the, the royal family is racist? Sure. But like it, it ain't that conversation shouldn't be had when a victim is coming forward about mm-hmm. racism that's happened to them. I won't name any names of any <laughs> black people that, you know, proceeded in that. But like we, we, we got to do better when it comes to that. You know, we can have those conversations in private amongst ourselves, but we got to be careful when we have them in public because white people, white racists, and racists of all demographics pick up that language and mm-hmm. run with it. And mm-hmm. it happened all over social media this past week. That's yeah. all I wanted that, to yeah, add. Yeah, that, that. that's, that my, my whole spiel was what I said. Yeah. Protect all black women because at the end of the day, regardless of what privilege you may think that they have, what privilege you may think that they don't have, when they are around anyone else other than black people, they are still black. And they will still get drugged through the mud. They don't care. Facts. So protect Facts. all black women. All right. Everything is local. Let's move on to the next segment. You got anything local happening? I got some local stuff happening. But no. I want to ask you first. No. You look guilty. It's like I don't have nothing. So I usually do my homework me. and I didn't do my homework this time. Fire. I mean, I had the, the everything is local last time. That's true. You I did, did not it. have it last week. So I'll be busy. I'll be there. I'll be juggling things. We can we can we can talk about a number of things. The school reopening is still uh, yeah. moving forward apparently. There's also an announcement in in SEPTA. So they're having conversations about shutting down the Kensington station on the L mm-hmm. because of just the concentration of like addicts and, op- and opioid users and things like that and it's becoming unsafe for like the actual train workers going to work. Okay. And it and it sucks because like I get SAPTA's point of view, right? Like yeah. this is endangering not just the public, but like our employees. And their response is is that because the city is failing to actually handle this problem adequately enough. Oh, yes. And so like they're being put into this position and they're receiving some criticisms on social media. But, like, the real criticism should go to, like, city leaders and city council and and, and addressing the homelessness problem and yeah. the drug use problem that's in that area. I, com- I completely am with you on this because I was working, for anyone who doesn't know, for while I'm putting myself through school, I drive Lyft. And so I was doing Lyft and I was driving in Frankfurt at, like, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. It's bad. And I was afraid. I was yeah. scared. I had to drop these two people off. And where I dropped them off, there was it was just tons of shit. Yeah, <laughs> just put yeah. it that way. And then I was the, when I was driving to drop where I was dropping them off, I was just looking at the the state of the area, and I was appalled. It was appalling. I yeah. c- I couldn't believe that the city allowed allows that area to look that way. It was. It was appalling. It was disappointing. It was saddening. I just I couldn't believe it. It's um, been uh, it's been on the decline for years. I remember yeah. when I was I used to drive for Lyft and Uber some years ago as well. And like, I would have to shut my my pickup off if I was dropping off in a certain area because mm-hmm. like it's, it was it was I considered doing actually that. dangerous on I who you are picking up. Like I've had like you know unruly people get into the car and it's like you know you shouldn't be it's it's sad because and you know you kind of feel for it because like i don't want to i don't want to leave somebody out there that needs a ride 
you know, but like I also shouldn't be put into the position because the city is failing to actually respond appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so y'all trash for that. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it was it was I couldn't believe what I was writing through. It it was it's a sad situation. It's been bad for some years. We'll have to we'll have to dedicate some some topics around not just criticizing city i mean we do that every week but nah but we we might i might might have to go in because you know i've invited some of them onto the podcast they've been guests in the past Mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to start holding them accountable for for some of that for sure let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with our main topic here at salah's corner i am always looking to connect with new people hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk at salazcorner.com and we can get your story featured on our next episode. Okay, we are back with our main topic. And two for two this week, we have another guest in the studio. Yes, we do. Jalen Nix, who is my cousin-in-law, actually. Yep. So welcome, Jalen. How are you? Thank you. I'm awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here. We've been talking for the past few weeks about everything going on, so it's kind of great to just make a podcast about it. We we have been, and there's a lot going on in the states and the city, particularly as it relates to like election work and things like that. But for, for folks who are listening in, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do? Yep. So my name is uh, Jalen Nix. I'm a vice president of operations for my family's uh, company. We do a lot of hospitality. We're in about 13 different airports across the country. Uh, right now, I am the committee person for the 59th Ward 20th Division. So those residents in Rittenhouse Hill, I represent them. And I also work with the Philadelphia Young Democrats. And most of what I've been doing, the work that I've been doing, has been raising awareness about political issues, specifically House Bill 38. And I'm fairly new to, I guess, the political spectrum. Most of my post-grad career has been spent in the private sector. And Largely, the events of 2020, like most people my age, kind of was an awakening moment. I had previously worked as an activist with the ACLU back in 2015. We were raising, I believe we were fundraising for, it was the Supreme Court case. And I actually remember that day um, vividly. It was when the Supreme Court decision came down. And for someone like me, that affected me personally because, you know, I was adopted by two gay men in California. And they largely shaped pretty much my whole outlook on life. A lot of it was, you know, growing up in Cheltenham, my parents, their, their outlook on life. And so it was nice to, to work on, a, on an issue that hit close to home. So largely after that Supreme Court decision, I wanted to work more locally. So I worked with an organization called Action United, which was uh, formerly ACORN. I worked with them for about two years. Acorn. Yeah, yeah. So when Acorn got um, crucified (laughs) by the Department of Justice, they formed Action United. So same concept, fighting for a public education, specifically as it relates to the state, uh, the fair funding formula. I was working on Tom Wolf's campaign, uh, canvassing, going door to door. And then largely, like, what happened in 2017 was I was was a student at the time. Once I got out of school, my focus was, you know, trying to get in an apartment like most people move out, save money. You get a nice little 50K bill. And I've always been working two jobs. I was literally working seven days a week. By the time I moved out of my parents' house, I was working as a director of operations at the time and then working on the weekends, bartending, and then eventually I became a bar manager. And that was that was eye-opening because I actually stopped last year when I got laid off. Mm. As this is actually largely what started, the my I guess, my political activism. I'd always been, I guess, an observer. But it wasn't until, I, I guess, the... 
that <laughs> it was largely based in anger. But that's it's justifiable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, I mean, the what happened in 2020 was was it affected me personally, but there was also other outside factors. It was like a really, really hard year. And I felt like I kind of aged 10 years. And I, I know that everyone kind of can agree with that. But it started with on March 15th, getting laid off. And that was a job that I, you know, I needed. It wasn't like I was just doing it for fun of it at the time. You know, as, as you know, housing in Philadelphia is is not cheap. I was living mm-hmm. in a house with seven other roommates and still had a rent about, of about a thousand dollars a month. Mm. Yeah. So Getting laid off was was terrible, and then shortly thereafter, I had a friend that was killed by gun violence, and then it was you know trying to make decisions. We so we have over a hundred employees in the Reagan National Airport. That was before COVID. We're now down to fourteen, mm. and so what was hard about that was having to make decisions that affect other people's lives. When I just got laid off from my second job two weeks before, you know we're all sitting around a conference table and we're trying to figure out. Okay, we we know that we can't you know staff up because we're based in airports. So as you know, airports largely took the brunt of this. Airports and restaurants. So we we got a twofer. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we got screwed right. two different ways. And you know, I have my own personal drama, and I'm sitting here making decisions for other people's lives. And I got laid off. How can I go and lay someone else off and do the right. exact same thing to them? Yeah. And it, it was not easy. Like we really did. There was a point where we did not know if we were going to have enough money to do payroll in a week. Mm. You hit on you hit on a lot. There's a no, lot there, a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's good though because you know I find when I have somebody engaging in the podcast that there's a number of different avenues that I can take, right? Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned a number of different things. The acorn. Can you can you explain what acorn is I, for I was, people who I was don't totally understand? Totally about to say I didn't want to explain that. <laughs> I mean, you have to. You can't just like throw. Well, so I would just say that acorn got into this huge scandal during the Obama administration. Um, got in, ended up being in, investigated by the Justice Department. I'll I'll just say that they got into some some ethical issues on how they were organizing. Mm-hmm. It was a tool for conservatives and the Republican Party to use against basically all Democrats. And so, but you you touched on that. You also touched on just life during the pandemic, which yeah. we really haven't dived into a lot on this podcast. And it's something that I do want to go back to at some point. Yeah. But you'd mentioned something that you are doing because, you know, our conversations are grounded in the political. You mentioned that you are a committee person. Yes. Last year, I wrote a blog about how our ward system in Philadelphia is obsolete and we need to get rid of. Can you explain to folks what a committee person is? Yes. So basically what what a committee person is, is their job is they're essentially the foot soldiers for ward leaders. Whenever they can, for instance, my residents, I represent about 1,200 residents. And my job is to make sure that, A, they can vote, that they, you know, mail-in votes, all that stuff, and then also disseminating information. So... City committee, war, it goes, city committee announces kind of like the, the party's outlook policy endorsements, and then the ward leaders then disseminate that information. And if you want to win in Philadelphia, you need the support of majority of ward leaders. That's how it historically has been with the rise of social media, as well as various other means for organizations to disseminate information. The, the ward system, and even actually COVID, has largely affected it too, mm-hmm. is that communication between residents and ward leaders has been growing further and further apart. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, you know, 30 years ago, people didn't, you know, you knew who your ward leader was because they were your neighbor. Nowadays, you don't. But one of okay. my frustrations with the ward system is, 
is that war leaders have an like an almost an unlimited amount of power on like who gets elected from their ward, right? And so ward leaders control who gets endorsed. They hand out the sample ballots. And so if I don't like you, Farah or Jalen, if you're running for election in my ward, when I'm handing out a sample ballot, when you show up to vote, I can make sure your name isn't on it, mm-hmm. regardless of if the party endorsed you or anything like that, right? And so what happens? A lot of people don't pay attention to, like, who's running. You know, there's there's too many people running sometimes. Sometimes there's dozens of people running. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you go through the guidance of that sample ballot that you're given when you show up. Sure. And if the ward leader just doesn't like you, which in a lot of cases, ward leaders just don't like people, they won't put you, make sure that you're on the ballot. And then they'll make it harder for people to actually vote and support for you, especially during primary elections when it's within the party. Mm-hmm. That part is so, so crucial. So people that should actually win and have ideas on things like that don't don't end up having a chance because ward leaders go on these power trips and you know it's all favor for favor you know scratch my back i scratch yours that's kind of like how it's been for a long time a long long time philadelphia which is why so many philadelphia politicians end up in jail yeah yeah well that's been the criticism um and and it's a fair criticism because there there is that influence and as you know, city politics is not, it, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. And that's the problem with the system as I see it, is there is an exclusionary mindset where a lot of people, even before the party will exclude them, are excluding themselves because they feel as though, okay, I'm not intelligent enough. Or We've had we've had this conversation before. Like I'm, I've talked about before, I'm getting my bachelor's in political science. And so I just... Even down in Georgia, I haven't not so much here as of yet. I mean, I've looked, I've dabbled a little bit, but it's hard to find a job because I don't have my bachelor's. But then when you do have your bachelor's, I don't have my bachelor's yet. And that's like the criteria that they want. Right. And then when you do have it, they want you to have X amount of years of experience. But it's like, how can I get that experience if you're not hiring me? Exactly. So it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And it. it, So, yes, that I think personally that the critiques are fair. And there, is, there does need to be a debate. Like right now, as we sit, there's a third of committee seats that are currently vacant. Well, if we're worried, a third, a third of those seats, there are thousands of committee people across the city. But if we're, you know, if we have a criticism for the wards, if you have a third, let's say that all those seats got filled overnight, right? That third would have an overwhelming majority in policymaking, decision-making, mm-hmm. changing how we go about disseminating that same information. Which candidates get endorsed. Exactly. Which right. ward leaders, what ward leaders focus on communities, on how they organize. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if all the seats were full and we were saying, this is a horrible system. We'd be like, yeah, that, well, that's on us. What's, what's, what's keeping these seats vacant? Information. People don't know it. I, I was surprised to find out that my committee seat was vacant. I was happy to take that committee seat, but I, I was surprised. And mm-hmm. a lot of it, it does come down to reaching out to your ward leaders. And personally for me, I think if you are a ward leader, you do have a responsibility to make sure that you're keeping up with the times. For instance, like in the, as it relates to a lot of what influences me is lessons that I've learned in the private sector. So you notice how the private sector doesn't have a problem with managers, directors of operations disseminating information. That's not an issue because these things are attached to monetary values. Because if you don't do X, you don't get Y. Exactly. What's been happening is because there's not that emphasis, people are not participating in that. And there's not a prior. People aren't saying to ward leaders, why aren't you modernizing how you're communicating? We know we can't go door to door. 
to talk to people because of COVID restrictions. Okay, well, what can we do? We have platforms. One of the things that I did was I created a platform for people within my division, and it had it consolidated all of the state's resources for elections. So you could request your mail-in ballot. You can request your absentee ballot. You can look and see who your elected officials are within your division. You can see your city council people. It's a whole bunch of resources that typically you have to go to 10 different websites to get mm-hmm. yeah. all in one. And that was the goal when I created Now, is it is it political? Yes, because it is. I have it under my name. But it's a resource. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working with my le- ward leader right now, and I'm creating our, our ward's website, which is essentially a copy of my own, but it's a little bit more specifically targeted to a larger audience. And those are things that that people our age should get involved in politics mm-hmm. for, because a lot of the ward leaders, and, it's, and I'm not trying to insult them, they're, they're, they're a little old. So we need more young people involved in politics to help them facilitate that modernization. Yeah. And, and there's a reason why there's those vacancies that you talked about as well, because, you know, you mentioned that the ward leaders are older, right? And so there's less of them out there yep. being active, especially during the pandemic right now, and committee leaders mm-hmm. or committee members. And they're used to the, how can I say this a little more politely than I ex- explained the ward system before? <laughs> they're used to, you know, favor for favor type of mentality of how they're organizing and how they mobilize the communities to get involved. Right. You mentioned 2020 being a very pivotal year for you and how you've been politically engaged and, 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 and kind of activated given the pandemic, kind of given just, just the craziness of human decency, um, human decency <laughs> right? Um, that exists? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> trying to find it. You, 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 you mentioned that as being a pivotal moment in your like political activation, even though you've had some, you know, moments, you know, right. kind of seeds planted. Yeah. You know, those stumbling blocks that you highlighted were those the things that prevented you from getting much more involved prior to 2020? Yes and no, because one of the things that 2020 did teach me was time, like valuing time. Mm-hmm. It's a lesson I'm glad I learned at my age. I'm 24 years old and learning to appreciate time is certainly important. But before I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't get politically involved because I was working seven days a week. On Monday through Friday, I was working in the office. And then on the weekends, you know, actually Friday night, I, that was usually a 15 hour day for me. And then Saturdays, another 11 hour shift, Sunday, 11 hour shift. So you talked just, about this too. Yeah. And that, but that's why there's not a lot of young people involved in politics, mm-hmm. because you can't even if the average salary coming out of college is about 40000 you can't even, if you were putting enough money away in a 401k making 40000 a year, you can't even support yourself in retirement. It's not feasible. If you're making 40000 you know, even 10 years ago, you could afford a one-bedroom apartment. You could afford to, you know, not work on the weekends. But right now, that's not possible. A lot of people my age, you know, all work. I mean, every I worked next to lawyers, people that literally were in court the day before and they're bartending on the weekends because student debt has become such a burden to them. And even moving out, like it, if you really want to if you want to move out from your parents, I mean, that's like close to four grand in expenses. You have to get mm-hmm. furniture, you have to get, you know, all that security deposits, which is first, last. And God forbid, if you someone who's coming out of college, you don't really have an established credit score. So your security deposit is ridiculous. So it, it was a time thing. And then the pandemic after, you know, after I got laid off, I was able to find another job, which gave me a little bit more flexibility. The virtual workplace has kind of made it a little bit easier for me to, to multitask. But yeah, it, it was because of time. And it's not that I didn't want to, or I didn't feel 
as much of it as a responsibility. It's just I didn't have time. And then once I was able to, I guess, maximize my time, it was I, I felt a responsibility because, mm-hmm. for instance, you had I've never seen even my father in his lifetime never saw election officials getting death threats like we in, in our city. Al Schmidt literally got death threats for doing his job. Al Schmidt <laughs> is one of the uh, city commissioners. I, I thought that was if he was any less of a person. And he actually fed into that negative or he was, you know, even even in Georgia, we could have had a different president. So it was a sense of responsibility to, A, be involved in this, in this discord and kind of try to help, you know, lower the temperature. Because right now we're not even arguing on facts. It's all emotion. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, you know, even 20 years ago, if you disagreed with someone, you disagreed with someone and it was evidence-based. You know, it was just a difference of opinion. Now it's I'm literally questioning your morals because you disagree with me. And I think that millennials are because of what happened in 2020 are kind of all operating on the same basis of, yeah, we got screwed because <laughs> we all got laid off. We all had to struggle through this. So I, I think millennials are a little bit more equipped to work with each other better. And that's, I want more millennials involved in politics. So sorry to go on a tangent. No, no, no. that was an important tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really was because I, I find that the more folks that I talk to, particularly younger folks, they're, they're, their political activation comes from some trauma related to the political system. Mine right? was for sure. What yeah. was yours? Mine was the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was already I was already in school for massage therapy. I had just finished that, and then I went back for aesthetics. The election happened, and I was I was like you, just it was peripherally. I paid attention to what was going on, and right. I watched things, and you know I talked to my parents, things like that. But it was the 2016 election that really yeah. did it for me. And it was it was traumatic. Yeah. And it, it was extremely traumatic for me. And it was traumatic for my daughter as well. My daughter at the time, whew, how old was she? Um, I, don't, I don't even know how old my kids are. <laughs> she was in middle school. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's fair. She was in middle school and she went to Friary and they had like a mock election there. You know, all the kids voted. And the day after the election, my daughter was so, she was depressed. She was devastated. And I asked her, you know, I want to talk to her about it. So I'm I'm like, why why do you feel this way? And she was like, because Donald Trump is mean. And I just, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I had to let her stay home from school for like two days because she was so depressed. And that affected me, I think, more than anything and what act, what made me want to get my degree and just be more active and learn more about politics and the way that politics works and how it functions in our lives. Yeah, you should. I mean, I, I encourage everybody to because the reason that the system is complicated is because it's been designed to be complicated mm-hmm. because they want people to discount themselves. And honestly, I don't want to just say that it's simple. It's not. It's very, very complicated. But the difference is is there are a lot of grassroots organizations in the city that all have the same ideas. But the reason, and I think we talked about this briefly, there's a lot of turmoil because they're, although they're all doing the same things, they all want to take credit for it, mm-hmm. for accomplishing, so they're not working together. Imagine if, you know, again, I, I talked about the, the third of the seats. Imagine if organizations, like next year we have ward elections, right? So we have a year until war elections. Imagine if every single one of those organizations prioritized putting progressives in that third, in the third of those seats that are vacant. What type of influence would you have on who the city committee chairman is, on who ward leaders are? 
That amount of influence is incredible. And I think we're missing that opportunity because we have redistricting, which, as you know, Republicans don't take losses well. <laughs> so once that's in, an understatement. Right. And Democrats have a tendency that after elections, after we have a big victory, we fall asleep at the wheel. It was evident in 2008 with Obama. We let him down in 2010 or in, yeah, 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 in 2010, in, in 2010, in the midterm elections. And a lot of I mean, even people I know a lot, specifically as it relates to the African-American community. We're, we're disappointed in Obama, like, oh, how come he can he couldn't do this for us? You know, you know, just he, he did nothing. He was just another politician. Yeah. I mean, there, there are things like there are things that I'm critical of President Obama for. But also we let him down because how can you ask someone to legislate when you don't give them the resources? It's mm-hmm. not just the executive branch. It's the legislative branch. You need to control this. And elections matter. We had three Supreme Court judges nominated by Donald Trump. And that's a lifetime impact. So we can't, and they're young. They're young. Mm-hmm. One woman, I think I might have taken more law classes than her. I say that jokingly, but it's scary because Republicans have an amazing ability to think long term mm-hmm. and to beat the news cycle. Democrats get caught up on their – and it's largely because Democrats are a coalition. We're a coalition that's accepting of all types of groups, all types of religions. Republicans tend to be a monolith. It's either There's a political ideology and – you know, there are people that from it, it, there are people that are the you have diverse people in those groups, but they're they're towing the party line. Democrats fall in love. Republicans fall in line. My father said that to me all the time. And that, that is that is that couldn't be a more accurate statement. Democrats will have in party squabbling and to the detriment of legislation. Yes, will be their downfall. Republicans have no problem looking like terrible people. You you mentioned I agree one hundred percent, but you know that's I think that happens on the political level, like between you know politicians, political organizations, left leaning activists, things like that. But at the same time, from the public perspective, Democrats, you know, they 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 vote, you know, they fall in love, but they also just go home. Yep. And and think that because someone is in power, they 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 will just do. They yeah. will know what I want. Right. I did and my then, job. I voted for you. Now just do it. And then are surprised when civil rights are being rolled back, voting rights are being rolled back, civil liberty, all of that kind of stuff starts to roll back. And you see this rise of hate crimes funding. And, and violent crimes and funding to different mm-hmm. avenues and programs and things like that. You mentioned, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was how, you know, Republicans respond when they lose elections. And one of the ways that they always respond is, or I will say lately, especially in the last two decades, has been if we lose an election, that means it was unlawful. Yep. And so we need to change the rules so that we can make sure we win again. Yep. And so something like that is happening in Pennsylvania that you and I have been talking about with this judicial gerrymandering. And I brought it up during our last podcast, and I think this is a space where we can talk about that a little bit more. Do you want to go into what judicial gerrymandering is? Yes. So, and one of the hard things that I've been having is the way that they designed this bill is so nefarious because it is complicated trying to explain what it is to someone, why someone should care about judicial gerrymandering. Historically, Supreme Court judges are elected in the state of PA, and you have to win statewide. And it makes sense because if, you know, you're on the bench, your rulings affect all Pennsylvanians. Mm-hmm. What Republicans are trying to do is they are launching a constitutional amendment. And what that amendment would do is rather than have statewide elections for Supreme Court justices, right now we have a 5-2 lean. So five liberal judges, two conservative. And what they want to do is create judicial uh, districts. 
And so those districts, rather than having, you know, somebody win statewide, which means if, if you're running statewide, you can't be, you know, all the way to the right. And to some degree, you can't be all the way to the left. Mm-hmm. You have to appeal statewide. But if they created those districts, and it's so obvious what they're doing, you would isolate Allegheny County and Philadelphia County into one district. So they would each get one judge. And then the rest would come from Pennsylvania, which would be the middle of the state, which are historically. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I call it, yeah, <laughs> which, which is historically conservative. So by, you know, it would take some time before those appointments. It would take about 20 years for that court to flip, in my opinion. But that could change. I mean, you would have Pennsylvania effectively have a 5-2 conservative court. Mm-hmm. And had that something like that passed a year ago. We wouldn't have had any the mail-in ballots. You could have had a different president. Pennsylvania could have voted for a different president. What, what, it, what it effectively does is it takes away your votes, Yep. right? So you, there are seven judges that you vote for now or seven possible judges and seven seats that you ju- vote for now within the Supreme Court. If they move forward with this, which it's looking like it's going to be on the ballot in November – now you only have one judge from your district that you vote for, even though all these all the six other judges will still hear cases overseeing. Right. What, and that's directly impact. I think that's the rub, because it sounds good. Like, oh, I'm only voting. I'm voting for the person that runs my district. Right. OK, but that's not how it works. You're, you're limiting the, the 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 reach of your voice. Right. I, my reach only extends to Philadelphia County borderlines as opposed to affecting statewide. And what's even more nefarious is how the method in which they've chosen to do it. It's a constitutional amendment. And in order for a constitutional amendment to pass within the state, it has to be proposed as a ballot question. And historically, in off-year election, I think the last time a ballot measure was stopped was in 1981. That was the last time. That was before any of us were born. Yes. Actually, 50th year anniversary in November. So hopefully we can upset people. But so I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and say, hey, all we need to do is get the word out and we can stop this. Because realistically, it's unlikely to happen unless people wake up and start doing stuff now. And, and that's what's so nefarious about it. Because the only requirement within the actual bill to publicize this is a newspaper article. When we first walked in here, I showed you the, the newspaper article today in the Inquirer which show they, they originally wanted to do it in May. However, they have prioritized stripping the governor of his emergency powers mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, I might add. They prioritized that, and then they're going to go after the judicial gerrymandering. So it, it's not something that is unthinkable. It's not something that, you know, that is in, in, implausible. It, it can happen. And then you're going to start, once, once they take the courts, you're going to start seeing those voting rights bills Go. Like Georgia doesn't have to go through the courts. <laughs> Georgia's a beast. I just oh. came. From, I just came from Georgia, and what they're the, what they're doing in Georgia is an atrocity. Yep. Like I it's, it, it boggles my mind that in what they're doing is they are essentially repealing laws that they passed for themselves yep. in 2005, and now they're changing them because they see that once everyone has access to them, things go democratic, and so. They're taking away weekend voting, which highly affects black churches because we had a lot of sold to the polls initiatives that happened on Sunday. They're changing that. They're changing no excuse um, um, absentee balloting. They're changing the times even of the the polling times of uh, when polls close. Like it's it's specific and it's violent. (laughs) Yeah. And so this this issue actually affects me personally. My grandfather was 
chief justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. He's actually the first black man to win a statewide election. And, you know, it's funny because I've, I've, almost every single person that I've encountered politically has a story about my grandfather. And I only met him once. And at the time, he, he passed away of Alzheimer's, so he wasn't, didn't have all of his faculties. But, you know, his, his, his shadow was still there. Mm. And if, you know, talking to my uncles, they'll tell you that, you know, he, he understood the responsibility of his role. It, was, it wasn't, he wasn't a Philadelphia judge. He was a Pennsylvania chief justice. And he understood that role. I can't just make decisions that affect Philadelphians. Although I, Philadelphia is my home, I have to make decisions that benefit all of Pennsylvania. And what benefits Philadelphians might not be the same thing that benefits the middle of the state. But he understood that responsibility. That's a fact that I for, I've totally forgot about, actually. I do want to talk about, you know, one other thing. You Last time I talked, we were talking about the judge of elections. Before we started recording, you said you had an update to share. Yes. When we first talked about two months ago, I had kind of made that. It was actually watching the inauguration. I made that aha moment. Like, I need to get involved politically. And a lot of it was I had no idea what I was doing. It's not just <laughs> as easy as flipping a switch. Okay, I'm a politician now. Yeah. Um, it was incredibly difficult <laughs> to, to figure out, like, even, even reaching out to my ward leader. It took her a while before she got back to me. So I was just like, you know what? I, I don't really know that many people in the party. So I, like many people, I, I attended meetings, kind of like info sessions on how, like, what positions you could run for. And I had no... And so the this year, we had elections for judge of elections. And I thought, that's a great role because, A, I can I can look at modernizing that. So that's what... Uh, that's why I created the website. And then after, you know, I, I launched kind of like my official campaign, I put a lot of effort into it because I wanted... I didn't want to just put effort... I wanted to create that platform that could be used after the election. It mm-hmm. wasn't just about me. It was about creating a resource for every every single one of my neighbors. And that's, you know, it's there right now, and I'm happy that I created it. But then once I created that website, a lot of people from the party started reaching out. And they liked the ideas that I was, you know, saying about, like, hey, we need to modernize how the communication line between ward leaders, committee people, because, you know, my girlfriend is actually registered in our building before I was. I I voted in Montgomery County because I just officially moved into Philadelphia. I've been living here for two years, but like I was a registered Montgomery County voter. And then my girlfriend had registered in Philadelphia for the last election. I mailed in my ballot and I asked her, I was like, how did you like, you know, she had trouble with the, with, you know, making her ballot registration, all that stuff. And I was like, isn't there somebody that's supposed to be helping you with that? And that's what the committee person is supposed to be doing. But the only problem is the, so a judge of elections is a non-political position. Mm-hmm problem is a lot of this, the work that I wanted to do requires some type of political lean. And so I kind of just, after talking with people within the party, I just made the decision that the what I wanted to accomplish would be more effective if I was a committee person teaching other committee people to do what I did, creating those platforms, modernizing, you know, giving ward leaders the ability to communicate within their ward. It would, it would be easier for me to do that because on election day, if you're a judge of elections, you have to be apolitical. And then also, I did not want the appearance of impropriety. I didn't want people to think, oh, he's, you know, he's a blue Democrat. He's messing with my votes as a judge of elections. So mm-hmm. I, I could have I could speak more freely and do more. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say that I just quit because that's not what happened. The way that my division is set up is the judge of elections position. They, they've set it up. So the polling place is actually for three different divisions within that that division so that you technically have already two judges of elections for that actual polling location. I just wanted to have it. I could do more as a committee person than a judge of elections. Mm-hmm. 
I got to share you on my, my piece that I wrote about the ward system, about like how I, I, I basically just trashed the whole system. But the critique is fair. I, I'm not going to sit it, here and say it's not. It's, it's fair. But you, and I was going to say you, you outlined some of the same critiques that I that I wrote about. And, you know, your, your solution to the problem is getting younger people involved. Yes. Not just in voting, but you know, politically activated by committee people, by being ward leaders, and actively involved with creating a community that is educating the public and their network on political activation. How, you know, you, you mentioned part of the ways of doing that is creating this platform to, to kind of gauge online, to be able to be a resource for other folks. What are some other ways that you recommend just being more engaged with youth and encouraging them like, you're, like you did to get more involved in, in the political activation? Right. Yeah. And so, as you said, I, I, the criticisms that you had were completely fair. But I also think we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We can reform the system from within. And as it relates to people my age getting involved, one of the first things that I think you should do is, like, for instance, Philadelphia has a young Democratic wing. And that is actually, for what it is, it's an incredible organization for the fact that the access that it gives you. Half of the work that I do is as committee person on the weekends. And then the other thing I do is work with the Philadelphia Young Democrats. We have a forum actually on Thursday with all of city committees endorsed judicial candidates. And that's an opportunity for people my age to go and really go face to face and ask people that are running for your vote hard questions. Especially judges. Especially judges. Um, I have my own opinions on how judicial elections should work, but that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's for another day. But yeah, so getting involved with, I, and I, I, I'm not going to tell you what organization to be a part of, but I certainly recommend, A, working with, like, if you wanted to, if you're somebody that wants to be elected, that, that has a desire to be an elected official, I highly recommend getting involved with the Philadelphia Young Democrats. And it's just because of the opportunities that you have to work closely with elected officials. Someone like Kathy Gilmore Richardson, I've been working with her a lot. She's actually the one who is making the forum for HB 38 on the 15th, uh, we have a Supreme Court candidate, Kadita Ken- Kenner. Yeah, K- Kadita Kenner. She's incredible. She's incredibly mm-hmm. informed. So thank you for telling me about her. She's yeah. actually going to be our featured speaker. So I would say if you're in Philadelphia and you want to get into politics, Philadelphia Young Democrats is for you. Because if you're under the age of 40 and you are a registered Democrat, then you're likely already a part of the Philadelphia Young Democrats. And it gives you the opportunity to learn the legislative side. Because it's not just about having good ideas or feeling a responsibility. You need to understand how government works, how mm-hmm. city council works, how, how city committee works. You need to understand that it's not just about having the right idea. It's about making sure that your message gets out. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not the best idea that wins. But Young Dems prepares you to navigate those circles. There's, there's a purpose for grassroots organizers, and there's also a purpose for elected officials. I want to bridge that divide, and I want to turn more grassroots organizers into elected officials. I work with 1PA, and I work on their political activism committee, and we, like the Young Dems, teach people how to run for these positions. And I'm going to scream this until the day I die. You need, it is, you need to reach out, and you need to find out what positions are available. If you're 18 years old, you could probably be a committee person. And a lot of those are appointments by ward leaders, but it's important for you to start researching that information on what vacancies there are, because it's not just about being a good person. It's about understanding how to navigate these city politics. And it starts by getting closer with elected officials, asking them hard questions. And a lot of them are, are, are very, very nice people and are happy to answer those questions. Jalen Nix committee person of the 59th Ward. Thank you for being here. It's a good conversation. There's a lot of other avenues that we could go into, but you'll have to come back. Of course, of course. Appreciate you being here. Thank you.
Hey everybody, I know throughout this pandemic, everyone has been saying we're all in this together. Well, here at Salas Corner, I want to really hear from you and what you're enduring during this pandemic. Give us a call, leave us a voice memo, and we'll play that on our next episode of Salas Corner. That number is 267-225-5891. Share with me your thoughts, your feelings, things that you're doing to survive during this pandemic, and you'll get your memo featured on the next episode of Salas Corner. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed <laughs> that interview. Hopefully that encouraged you to get more yeah, engaged that in was, politics. Yeah, it was, it was really good. It was a really good conversation. It, it just brings, it, it, was, it was a lot. It was, it was. This realm, of, there's so many areas to cover. Like there's just not enough hours in a day and not mm-hmm. enough guests to cover it. And so that's why we continue. But moving on, it's time for our whack ass of the week. I think I went first last time. Did you? Okay, I, did. I can go first. Okay. My whack ass of the week is Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, for his comments about the January 6th riot. He said he wasn't afraid during the riot because he knew those were patriots. They were, you know, they were Americans fighting, fighting for what's right. But he would have been afraid if it was Black Lives Matter because, you know, they're terrorists and those black people. <laughs> If I could take my eyes out my head and roll them across the floor, <laughs> that's how hard I wanted to he roll He said my the eyes. quiet part out loud. We know that they're not going to attack me because, like, they're racist and I'm racist. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm white. And those guys so, are white. I'm white. Of course yeah. I'm not afraid. But those black people, you know, wow. can't trust them. So, yeah, Damn. he's my whack ass of the week. They bold now, huh? That's, that's just mind-blowing. All right. That's a good one, actually. But I'm going into go with my whack ass of the week is Erie County District Attorney Jack Denary. This one is a personal to me because I'm working on this case for Dolores White. Right now, Dolores is a 68-year-old grandmother sitting in prison. Her trial actually started this week. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, she would have been acquitted. But she's facing first-degree murder, has been in prison since April 15th Mm. because she was defending her daughter during a domestic violence incident. And so he's my whack ass because he just he he saw all of the evidence. There's calls being made by the daughter. And his discretion was to charge her. Correct. Uh, daughters made there's calls made by the daughter reporting incidents of domestic violence. He has ignored that, charged the mother anyway for defending her daughter, and she could be facing life in prison, the rest of her life in prison, at sixty eight years old, grandmother. Never been charged with a crime, mm. never been in trouble, been retired for 20 years because she has health problems. But Trash. So I, Jack Denary is my whack ass of the week. I think you win. I already, I think you win. I sure hope so. I, 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 I mean, more than anything, this case, because this, this one, like I said, it's, it's personal because I've been working on it for some time. Actually, mm-hmm. after this call, we're going to be doing a little bit more work on that case tonight. You know, like I said, by the time folks are hearing this, hopefully she has won her case. The trial is over or maybe charges have been dropped. Who knows? But hopefully some positive action can come out of out of yeah. this. But he is my whack ass of the week. And I can see in the future that we'll, we'll be targeting him. Oh, I'm for it. Yeah. I'm with all the smoke. All the smoke. What's up? Yes. What's up, Jack? We coming. We coming for your ass. All right. Let me <laughs> let me not say that before they take that into, <laughs> and turn it into some old shit. Right? <laughs> anyway, I want to thank Jalen for being in the studio Yes, today. thank you, Jalen. Thank, thank you, Raina, for being here. For you know. extraordinaire. Appreciate you being here. Salas Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly. It is a space for creative individuals. It is produced by producer extraordinaire, Raina. I 
swear I said something different last time, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> and features my co-host and my sister, Farah. Hair flip. Thank you for being here. Make sure you check out all of our episodes. Email me if you have any questions at realtalk at Until next time, peace, y'all. Bye.